Hello and welcome. You're listening to Outstanding in Their Field, an agriculture literacy discussion. This podcast is hosted by me, Will Fett, from the Iowa Agriculture Literacy Foundation, and by Katie Carpenter of New York Agriculture in the Classroom. Throughout this season, we'll be joined by friends of Agriculture in the Classroom from across the country as we explore how agriculture meets some of our most basic needs of food, fiber, and fuel. We'll hear from educators who are creatively teaching and inspiring their students in food and agriculture. And we'll hear from industry experts showing the technology and science of modern agriculture and food production. As I said, my name is Will Fett, but today we have a special treat and your guest host is Audrey Harmon from Oklahoma Agriculture in the Classroom. Today's episode comes from the Sooner State. Audrey, I'll turn it over to you to tell us more about wheat production in Oklahoma. I'm Audrey Harmon, Oklahoma Ag in the Classroom State Coordinator, and today I'm visiting with Marty Williams at his fifth-generation family farm in Red Rock, Oklahoma. So, Marty, thanks for joining us. You bet. Tell us a little bit about your family farm. So, here in Red Rock, uh, which is in north-central Oklahoma, we, uh, my wife Crystal and uh, kids Ava and Morgan, who are 12 and 8, we uh, have a real diverse farm with uh, that in incorporates cattle. We raise uh, wheat, soybeans, corn, sesame, canola, barley, oats. So we just try to diversify our crops. And I'm very fortunate to live just a mile and a half from the uh, Mornhenwig family homestead, which is my mother's side of the family, and uh, still help uh, my mom and dad on that farm and hopefully get to farm it someday. So. So whenever you think about growing up in agriculture, what are some of your favorite memories? I had a really good time growing up with my father. Uh, he's really easy to work with, and he really taught me well. And the just the time, you know, this morning my son asked me, you know, Dad, what did you do when you got home from school? And because uh, he he'll get on his on his iPad or something and play a quick game and then go outside. But I said, son, I had a BB gun and I went to the creek or I went to the field with Dad. And and they, my kids go with me a lot. But I just remember always really wanting to farm. And just being very interested in anything agriculture. At the time, I didn't know it was agriculture. I thought every kid grew up that way. Um, oftentimes, young people that were raised working hard on the farm, like you were, um, go off to college and they don't want to come back and, and continue the farm. So why did you choose to do that? When I went to Oklahoma State, I had planned on majoring in animal science. And I went to visit as a freshman, and as I'm walking down the hall, somebody said, you know, what do you want to do uh, at just a group of advisors? And I said, well, I, I guess animal science. And a guy grabbed me and said, well, what do you think about agronomy? And uh, it was Dr. Jonathan Shaver. Uh, he became my advisor, and I loved everything about plants. I always wanted to come back. Um, my father didn't necessarily try to keep me from coming back. He suggested I go do something else first, but... I guess I was fortunate enough to just be focused and driven because that's what I wanted to do. I just wanted to come back to the farm. I I didn't understand all the financial implications of that, but my heart and soul, I was just made to do this. Is your love for agronomy the reason why you're so diversified, do you think? Yes, that absolutely is why. I I hate weeds, and so I really like to to adjust crops and rotate crops and to do that you have to have different 
different crops to grow, you know, different varieties. Being diversified is important to the success of agriculture, especially here in Oklahoma. How do you make the decisions on um, which crops to plant to be diversified or how to make the rotations? So I look at the plants and crops that I grow as almost a tackle box full of of uh, tools that I can I can utilize. And I used to make very calculated decisions when we farmed smaller of which parcel of land is going to get which crop. And now as we've gotten bigger and we run into weather events and time constraints, uh, a lot of times my decisions, I have, you know, two or three different crops that I know would fit well on that specific farm. But if we run out of time or we run out and the timeliness of planting or harvest isn't good, I'll, I'll switch crops. Thinking about wheat mm-hmm. pasture and, and wheat farming, um, explain to us how many acres do you have in wheat and what do you do with your wheat? Do you just harvest it? Do you graze it out? I do both. Basically, we're about, we graze about a quarter of all the wheat that we plant. This year, I typically try to harvest between 1,000 and 2,000 acres of wheat for grain and graze out about 500 to 1,000 acres. Uh, typically, the uh, in the past, I've been mainly a grain grower, and I really loved cattle and running cattle, but I didn't have a lot of fences. So over time, we've been able to build fence or rent farms with fence and diversified more into cattle. So yes, I do plant a lot of wheat for grazing, and we usually plant that earlier in the year. And as the year, as the time progresses through October, it's not as good for grazing. This year, we're probably going to tip the pendulum the other way. I feel like um, crop inputs have cheapened up enough where wheat could be a profitable crop to grow for grain. And with it being dry and missing out on the grazing, we're probably going to harvest most of our wheat, which would be three to 4,000 acres this year. How do you keep up with uh, which crops would be the best to plant and, and which ones you need to pass on? Obviously, there's an economic side to that. And we, we do look at the economic side. Um, as an agronomist, I look at new pest trends. Uh, for instance, I didn't grow Milo from 2014 through this year, basically, because there was the sugarcane aphid, and uh, the Milo price had dropped. So I took grain sorghum out, and luckily there's varieties now that are resistant to sugarcane aphid, and the price went up, so we planted plenty of Milo this year. So that's that's how I make those decisions. And we do make a lot of decisions based on rainfall patterns. We try to stay away from corn if it's going to be dry, or if it's too dry to plant soybeans in June, we just don't do it. Things of that nature. Wheat is a crop that sets in the soil for a long time, and so you've got a really long planting window, and um, it's a little easier to just put it out there and hope, I guess. <laughs> hope and pray for rain. I'm working as a family farm. What are the, the challenges and the benefits to to working with your family? So our farm is basically just my wife and I and three employees. And they become family, I guess you could say. But And I help my father when I can. Um, there's a lot of challenges. A lot of it is just associated with, with time. Uh, you know, the kids are busy in school activities and... The farm requires you to be here. When you're diverse, there's always a harvest going on. When you're, There's always planting going on. You know, my combine is going to run nine months out of the year this year, not consistently, but out of 12 months, nine of them, we've had a combine harvesting something. 
times that the family is really the most interested, wheat harvest is a real big deal for us. And uh, Crystal really gets involved with wheat harvest and the kids. They really enjoy it. But when it comes to corn harvest, they're in school and I'm kind of on my own. <laughs> so <laughs> I don't get many meals in the fields and the days are shorter and I definitely understand why. So that doesn't bother me. But those are the biggest challenges are just all time related. There was a there was a time in my life where I didn't spend as much time with my family and I spent a lot of time in the field. Uh, last year, I thought it would be best to mitigate that by coming home, telling the kids goodnight, playing with them a little bit, spending some time with Crystal, and then going back out and spraying till midnight. It's obvious that you love agriculture. How do you um, help instill that love of agriculture into your own children? Do you hope that they'll come back to the family farm? I, I'm going to provide them the opportunity to come back to the family farm. And certainly, that's a hope that they want to. But if they don't, they're definitely going to understand what I'm going through. And I want them to know. So we, we try to take them to the fields. They're working around the barns. I try to tell them. They come out a lot when we're repairing equipment. They're involved in 4-H, and Ava will soon be involved in FFA. They're they're giving some speeches. They're involved in livestock showing. And uh, when we were involved with Farm Bureau, they came to a lot of Farm Bureau events. And on the other side of that, we do try to show them the political side of what goes on. And I've taken my kids to the Capitol to meet their representatives and uh, senators just so they kind of know that there's more than just being out there in the field and working there's a there's a business side to it and i really don't hide anything that i'm doing for my children even business wise if i'm on a business call and we're talking about hundreds of thousands of dollars my kids are there listening and they don't it's kind of second nature to them and they can hear all that so all that together they're just immersed 100 percent. right that's great um, often educators and parents talk to kids about, you know, we're always continuing to learn and, and we never stop learning. So how is that statement true for you? What do you do to continue learning? I've always said that college was my least expensive education. Uh, every year we're taught a different lesson. Every season we're taught a different lesson, either by Mother Nature, by the grain markets, uh, equipment, uh, personnel. So I just continue to be open-minded to everything that comes around. I try to educate myself on market trends. I like to, I guess, listen. And I talk to my soccer mom friends, you could say, on Facebook. And I kind of watch what they're doing. Their, their food trends, their um, specifically meat buying trends, or whether they're buying organic or non-GMO, whether that's important to them. And I try to at least cater to that a little bit. I'm not afraid to adjust what I'm doing out here to facilitate that because that's where the market needs to go because ultimately the consumer is our market. And if we ignore what the consumer wants, you die. Uh, you know, Crystal and I are going, as, as a lot of people have now, with direct beef sales. We started back last, well, about a year ago, getting that going. And uh, then as the pandemic came on, you know, it seemed like the thing and the fad and everybody's doing it. We were lucky we had had the groundwork kind of laid out, but that's been pretty successful. And I was really glad we did that. And I didn't know there was that demand. And I grew all the crops to feed the cattle myself. And so, and I grew the cattle. So why was I just taking them and selling them as a commodity when I could 
make it as a almost a final retail product. So that's the things that we watch. Yeah, that's great. And it's great to look at the changes. So when you're at those ball games and, and you're talking to the other parents or on Facebook with those soccer moms, how do you interact with them to help educate them? I used to be a little defensive. And I finally got to the point where I really don't let the negative stuff that they can say bother me. I'm just very positive all the time and tell them, well, hey, this is this is really what we do. So I approach them in a, in a positive way. I try not to be a negative person about it. Uh, if they're bashing the way we raise crops, you know, they don't, they really don't know because they don't know. They've, they've heard a rumor or they think they know. It's nice to be able to interact with people in a positive way. You get a better result. Right, right. So whenever you think about the changes, what do you think students will need to know 30 years from now to help agriculture um, be successful in, in thinking about different careers that they might be involved in? How do you think educators can help prepare them? So that's tough because the the things that I learned 20 and 30 years ago and 15 years ago in college, don't even a lot of them don't even apply today because of the quick-paced world we live in now. First thing you can do is just understand your basics of ag production, I guess. And then as far as going into your education, just be open-minded to continuing education and be open-minded to listening to the political atmosphere, the the educational atmosphere, the just the grain markets, things like that. That's, I mean, you can go to college and you can learn specific data about what's going on in the current time. But as you get into business, you'll learn that a lot of that shifts so quickly nowadays with the internet and world trade and crops grown in Brazil. So, you know, things around the world. So just be willing to be open-minded and do your own research. So as you think about wheat farming and you think about what it looked like when you were growing up and what it looks like now, how's the technology changed and how has that helped to improve wheat harvest? Well, I mean, obviously there's seed technology. Uh, there's continuing, you know, wheat is still bred um, in traditional ways. So it takes nine to 10 years to come up with a variety that fits. So that kind of lags behind a little bit. Uh, but wheat farming, we've, We've probably gone more into um, extreme soil sampling, I guess, and feeding the plant. And we did that really hard for five or six years, and then it just became economically not feasible to do that because the price of wheat went down. So the biggest technologies we now use in wheat, we plant with GPS, and you know, everybody does that now. So we save seed and we save fertilizer. We place the fertilizer where we need it. We use nitrogen-rich strips to help determine in-crop nitrogen needs. Uh, we calibrate. Uh, the one thing we have shifted, that technology I've shifted in my wheat and just research uh, has shown that spring-applied nitrogen, when done properly, has no yield drag and actually probably yields better than uh, a heavy dose of fall-applied nitrogen. So we've shifted from basically no nitrogen in the fall if we're not going to graze it and all our nitrogen in the spring in one big shot a lot of the time. Does that tend to be across the board or is that something um, that varies greatly um, from producer to producer? Oh, it varies greatly from producer to producer. So in Oklahoma, it's been traditional to uh, apply anhydrous ammonia in the fall and maybe a little bit of top dress nitrogen in the spring. Um, now, I'm talking grain only. and We've learned now that the, it's 
that nitrogen can disappear and leach and the plant will utilize it in different ways and it's really not the best for high yielding wheat. Now grazing is a different story. Uh, you need a big fall flush of forage so you apply nitrogen. That's that's common. But yeah, that's shifted a lot because it kind of compacts the workload for us because now we're trying to apply nitrogen on wheat in March at the exact same time with the exact same machine that we're trying to spray to get ready for corn and milo planting. So it can be really burdensome on us in March and April. When you're thinking about your typical day in the fall when you're um, planting your wheat and then also in the spring, early summer when you're harvesting your wheat, mm -hmm. what's your typical day look like at those two times of the year? So October and June for us are those two times a year. And basically I've joked, I just tell my wife goodbye October 1 because I don't see her much and the kids. But so a typical October, I wake up in the morning, we go fill the grain drills with seed and fertilizer. We go fuel the combine to go harvest milo or corn. And then we typically make sure we have water and chemical to spray, uh, burn down, because we're no-till farming. We don't cultivate. So we spray to prepare the seed bed for the wheat. And basically I spend my days making sure that the one or two grain drills are going with fertilizer and seed. Uh, the sprayer is going and the combine is harvesting something if it needs be and the grain's being hauled away. So with four people or five, it can be kind of chaotic. Um, I've learned that I'm better suited as a uh, logistics man in a way and a manager of that. And that's worked really well, but I do miss the time that I get to set on the tractor. <clears throat> June is the same way. We're planting double crop beans. We're finishing up grain sorghum. We're harvesting. The biggest thing about June that is different is wheat doesn't set in the field as long as corn and milo and beans. So you really have to get the wheat harvested. So we concentrate more on a on harvest, on wheat harvest, and ignore the other stuff a little bit. What then is the worst part of your job? The worst part <laughs> of my job is that I'm getting older, my body hurts. Um, the other worst part, other than the time constraint and being busy all the time, is because of the the farm prices and the, the financial aspect and the farm economy of the last five or six years, we're running a lot of older equipment and every day there's a breakdown. Um, also the equipment dealers with the cost of repairs going sky high, they don't hold inventory very much anymore and especially not inventory of older equipment. So when we break down, we have usually a day or two downtime with any equipment gets really frustrating. What do you think is the best part of your job? The best part of my job is, as I've stated, being able to be my own boss and being able to take the time off when I need myself. Uh, the second favorite part of this job is just being outside. I love being outside. love being outdoors. I love working with the people that I work with. I love the industry people I get to talk to every day. It's just it's fun. It doesn't seem like a job to me, which sometimes my wife and I have, she's like, how can you just keep going? Aren't you so wore out? And I'm kind of thinking, well, I feel good because I love doing this.
Hello, I'm Audrey Harmon with Oklahoma Ag in the Classroom. I'm a state coordinator, and I'm here with Tammy Will, who's a science teacher at Morrison High School in Morrison, Oklahoma. She was also the 2020 Oklahoma Ag in the Classroom Teacher of the Year. So, Tammy, thank you for your time today. You're welcome, and I'm excited to visit with you today. So tell me a little bit about your educational background and your professional training. I went to college and got my undergraduate degree in uh, animal science. And then later, after my children are a little bit older, uh, I went back and uh, got my master's in education to become a teacher. Why did you decide to become an educator? As my children were going through school, I did a lot of volunteer work uh, at their elementary schools. Um, I um, have my agriculture background, but it just seemed like a really good fit. That's something that I could uh, contribute to society. I could also be available for my kids as well. And so I just felt like education was going to be something that was going to be a good match for our family. Tell us what you teach, uh, what classes and, and courses, and, and how you came to choose that field. When I first started teaching, I was a middle school science teacher only. chose that field because my background, I have so many hours of science in my background. That's just kind of my, my bent. I'm, I'm a very much of a nature outdoors, was raised with horses, was in FFA, did all those activities, was in 4-H as well. Teaching science was just real easy for me to do. As I moved to Morrison, I also continued to teach middle school even today, uh, but I've added uh, several high school classes. My day is very packed with five different types of science classes uh, in high school and middle school. Do you have a favorite science course? Probably right now my favorite course is chemistry. It's just that type of uh, class that kids are sort of afraid of when they come in. And I've learned over the last several years to try to make them more comfortable when we start because they come in very apprehensive. My honors chem class in particular, they get pushed a little bit further in their course, but they find out that there's so many things in our world that's connected to chemistry, um, agriculture. And I love finding those ag connections to chemistry. I think that's what makes it fun as far as um, the type of science it is. But plus, it's easy to relate to and it's also easy to um, have some fun hands-on experiments. How do you include agriculture in your chemistry class and also in your other classes as well? Well, like I said, chemistry is in our world all around us. Agriculture itself, uh, with my husband being a full-time farmer, we have a lot of discussions at home because he knows why he does certain practices, but I'm always digging to find out the chemistry of the why. And so we end up having long conversations in the evening and end up both of us learning a lot of things. So I can take those uh, tidbits of whether it's soil science, uh, whether it's pH, whether it's uh, any type of nutrition in feeds, and I can take those back and apply those to my classroom. Because I like new lessons that are hands-on, that have some history component. It allows the kids to really see how science is applicable to their everyday lives. And while 
most of my students know about ag. They don't really understand um, all that goes on with it from a science standpoint. The lesson that I had with wheat, uh, it was always, it's, and it still is, always so interesting as my students will tell me they know what wheat is because they drive by and see it in a field somewhere, but they really don't understand the plant structure itself. I got the idea one time after we had wheat harvest, I went around and picked up all the little extra plants that were along the fence row that uh, my husband didn't catch with the combine and started pulling them out of the ground. And of course, he's looking at me like, what are you doing? And so I just laughed and said, taking it to school. And it was really, it was really an eye opener when that first class that I took just simply took stalks of wheat into the classroom to introduce this lesson. And I gave each student in that class uh, a stalk of wheat with a wheat head still attached. We talked about, you know, the seed, the germination, what the plant looks like. At the very end of that discussion, then I showed them how to take the seed out of the seed head by rolling it between their hands. And the aha moments, the excitement, uh, them getting to actually touch something, even though they may have seen it in a field, was priceless. I still like to do that. We think because we live in a rural town and there are farmers around and we think that our kids know, but anymore we're about two generations out from most of my students that have farming knowledge in their family. Another activity I did is when I paired with one of our elementary teachers and uh, we extracted DNA out of the wheat and uh, I brought my high schoolers to actually perform the experiment with the students, her third grade students. And it was, I think my students learned just as much or more than the third graders did that day as they were, they were really surprised when they saw the DNA being extracted as well as they had to learn the parts of uh, the wheat plant. What changes do you see in your classroom when you use food or agriculture lessons? Um, what's your students' response? Well, typically, when I do it, I don't tell them everything I'm going to do. So they're making observations as soon as I start setting up or bringing something in and setting it up in front of them. And they're one, you know, they begin to be curious and wonder what what we're going to do. I've used many of the specialty crops uh, in experiments. Try to highlight pumpkins around the fall season. Do reactions in them, and so the students they get excited. They're curious. They're so engaged. So that's probably um, the one reason why I do that, because you do get that engagement. And then from there, uh, they're continuing to listen to what you have to say. You have presented for Ag in the Classroom on the state and the national level. Tell us about your workshops. What do you do to help teachers be prepared to teach agriculture like you are? One of the most uh, fun workshops I did recently was uh, one I did uh, with my daughter, who's also a science teacher. We did it at our state conference as well as the national conference in Arkansas. was a, a PCR reaction in teaching them how to use the equipment to simulate uh, the DNA bands to determine whether what we're testing is uh, either genetically modified or not. We had uh, the equipment. The teachers were able to actually hands-on 
go through the process and see their DNA bands as they uh, put them in the PCR machine and be able to have that uh, visual to see and to test different things with that they could take back to their own classroom. Now, in your science classroom, you're not just teaching about science. I know that you're also teaching about agriculture careers. So tell us about that and why you chose to do that. I started a couple of years ago thinking about all the times that uh, students will come to me and we'll talk about what they're going to do once they leave our high school. I decided, why don't I start pulling in some career information? So I did that. I, I, was, I thought about it for several days and was trying to figure out how I could actually get it to multiple students at one time. So I came up with an idea to do a career board. I did it solely on agriculture careers. Not that the other careers aren't important, but that was just one part of it. And I did that uh, by using a lot of people in our community, and some of them were uh, parents of students I had either had or, or had in class at the time. Um, and so I built a bulletin board with QR codes, and that QR code would then take them to more specific types of careers that they could uh, pursue. It just provided a lot of uh, information um, at a one-stop shop type of thing. And so I was able to at least help them either say, yes, this is something that I might want to do, or no, I don't. Why do you think it's so important to teach the students about agriculture? How do you think that will impact their future and also their family? Farmers feed the world. That's a statement you often hear. There's a lot of different things you can talk about with that particular statement. With the push of food and growing food in our country. Um, it's important that students are aware, and, I, and not only just students, that uh, their parents and their family are aware of uh, the issues that surround agriculture in our country, in our states. It's important that they're not only aware, but they understand where their food actually comes from instead of the um, you know, the elementary children that like to, you know, you ask them where's their food come from, and they say Walmart or the grocery store. So I think it's very helpful to have my older students to not only understand that, but to understand what goes into getting their food produced, and which then leads back to my uh, jobs in agriculture. Because in the past, I would ask my students, you know, what kind of jobs are there in ag? And they would say, an ag teacher, a farmer, a truck driver, were kind of the main things that they would say. But when you open up the world of technology in agriculture today, it provides so many more opportunities. And even if I have a student that doesn't come from a farming background, there are so many ways that they can be connected to the ag world through a future career, whether it's technology or whether it's communication or whether it's engineering of some type. Uh, there's just so many facets that opens up a lot of doors to future careers. In Oklahoma, we've had a push um, from our state secretary of agriculture for um, ag doesn't stop. And you see that firsthand because you and your family are farmers and involved in agriculture. So tell us what that means to you. I love that quote or that hashtag. I use it often. I think since so many of my kids, my students are getting 
further away from a family member that actually does some type of farming, whether it's dairy farming or uh, raising different breeds or, or species of animals. It's not really something that is forefront in their mind. And yes, they go to a, a grocery store or they go to a place to eat and their food is just there. So I think it helps bring to the forefront of everyone's minds that we're still feeding the world. It's not always easy because it's a 365 day a year job. I think it's just important to keep that knowledge with not only our students, but the uh, adults in our community as well, so that they understand that that is a job that has to continue if we're going to continue to feed everyone in our world. That's a great point. Um, when you're thinking about your job, what's the best part of your job? Probably the best part of my job is the conversations I have with my high school kids, uh, whether it's a whole class conversation or a student coming in for advice or uh, something that they discovered and are so excited as they come back to me and, and explain what they learned. Recently had a couple of students doing some work in a lab at our local university and they were just super excited about it. And they'll come back and they'll they'll tell me all the things that they've learned. And, you know, we're all life learners. We continue to learn. But sometimes engaging a high school student who's busy with their friends and their activities, sometimes it's hard to get them to find the joy that they find in those things in uh, some type of connection with my science classes. So on the flip side then, what's the worst part or the most difficult part of your job? Probably getting everything together to perform these lessons or any of my lessons. And probably more so this year than in the past because I have five different classes. And that's a really tough day. But I love it and um, I don't want to give up any of the classes. If you had a young teacher say to you, why should I care about agriculture? Why should I teach about that? How would you encourage them to start using the Ag in the Classroom lessons and program? I think I would, in discussion with their ask. Uh, or him ask if I could uh, share some of the things that I've done with my students and how engaging that those things can be and how excited they get when um, they can add to the knowledge they already know and then learn some more about agriculture in the meantime. And in wrapping up, tell us about your garden that you and your husband plant. You're referring to the what I call the chaos garden. Oh, it's so much fun and it's so exciting because you never know what's going to come up. Vegetable garden is basically uh, called a milpa garden. It's actually an old tradition that came over to the United States over when it was when the United States was first becoming uh, settled colonies. My husband was able to get his first uh, set of seed which is, comes all mixed together in a bag. He drills that into one of our fields, and it becomes a giant uh, garden that grows multiple things. And uh, oftentimes, I don't even know what's growing, and I have to go research to find out what it is. But what happens is the benefits from putting these types of uh, plants together is the insect, the beneficial insects, the harmful insects, 
uh, the soil nutrients, all of that, all that goes together. And what happens is you get a plethora of vegetables because um, you plant one type of vegetable and you have a harmful insect. Well, when it's in with other vegetables, uh, the beneficial insects get rid of the harmful insects. And so the plants are allowed to actually flourish. The downside is it's not a nice neat rose, so you have to go on a hunt to find them. And then, of course, my most favorite part is when all of the vegetables are picked, the pumpkins are just really starting to grow. So at the end, I get to see one of my favorite things to grow, which is multiple pumpkins, more than I could grow in my backyard. We just started trying it three years ago and have done it every year. We are able to harvest a lot of vegetables that have been given to local food banks. This past year, our local church's youth group came out and picked the rest of the pumpkins and took them to our elementary school. So each of the kindergarten, preschool through third or fourth grade were able to take a pumpkin home. And as a science teacher, when the, the youth group came out to your field, did you just turn them loose to go and pick the vegetables or did you have to talk to them about them a little bit? Oh, you know, once you're a teacher, you're always <laughs> a teacher. I was giving them a little bit of information about the differences and the things that I knew were out there that we had seen that they were going to be picking. And of course, with the difference, when you have that many vegetables in one place, you know, it takes some longer to mature than others. So it's always good to, you know, remind them that these are the ones you want to leave or these are the ones you want to pick. Uh, again, I don't always, I find, I found something this year that I did not know that was a type of squash because it's green on the top and uh, yellow on the bottom. My husband dubbed it the John Deere squash. Well, that sounds like a lot of fun and a lot of educational benefits as well. Tammy, thank you for your time today. I appreciate it. And again, we do appreciate you and congratulations on being the 2020 uh, Oklahoma Ag in the Classroom Teacher of the Year. Be sure to follow our podcast on Instagram at Outstanding in Their Field Podcast, our website, and our Facebook page. For more information on the Agriculture in the Classroom programs in your local area, visit agclassroom.org. Remember to subscribe to Outstanding in Their Field on your favorite podcast streaming service and visit the show notes to learn more. For now, thanks for listening and stay tuned for next time when we hear from more folks who are outstanding in their field. Thank you.